Welcome to Hot Springs Village Inside Out, a weekly podcast where Hot Springs Village, Arkansas is the star. Join me, Randy Cantrell, and my co-host Dennis Simpson as we discuss the history, facts, people, places, events, lots more surrounding Hot Springs Village, Arkansas. Visit the website at hotspringsvillageinsideout.com. Today's show is brought to you by Central Arkansas's favorite radio station, KVRE. Find them on the dial at 92.9 FM. Stream them live at kvre.com. It is another episode of Hot Springs Village Inside Out with Mr. Randy Dennis, myself, and Mr. Todd Knowles. And Todd, I tell you what, uh, yeah, uh, 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 I would say... You know, jack of all trades, master of no master of nearly all of them. Yeah. Todd, how are you today, buddy? I appreciate that. <laughs> you doing okay today? I'm doing good. How are you? We're, we're doing great. We, we, we got a little wet earlier, but we're fine now. Yeah. We're in between the yeah. storms. Tell us what you do. Tell us what your titles are. And I know you're acting in some capacity and then you're, you know, your regular job is something else. Give us a feel. What do you do in the POA? I currently am the. Uh, common property, forestry, and wildlife manager, and assistant street superintendent. Uh, Jason Temple and I are currently uh, leading the street department as, uh, you know, we're looking for a superintendent. Uh, so we're kind of filling in that position until we get one hired in. So we're kind of doing a little bit of all of it. Well, we were talking to him the other day and he was talking about the culvert. We did a show on culverts and obviously that's included in the streets. And he mentioned that you would be a great interview to chat with. How did yeah. you get started? Were you born in the village? Were you born here? <laughs> I was born right on the outside of the village uh, <laughs> in Jesseville. I've lived in Jesseville my whole life. I uh, married my high school sweetheart. Uh, all of our kids went to Jesseville. Uh, uh, I'm just a homegrown boy. Uh, I started work at the POA actually in 1989 for a lady named Daphne Hobbs at the rec center. You used to have to pay an admission to get in. And I tell you what, that was a happening place back in the day. I mean, that now, was now this, this was where again at the where say that at the, at the rec center oh, the rec center. now is the pickleball courts and the mini golf. And, uh, we had an admission table there, or a, a little admission building. And, and we stood in there and took money and, and people were going in, and I tell you, for the high school high school kids and for the young adults, uh, the pool and the rec center that was the hangout. Well, that was and, the mini uh, golf and and the basketball and, and everything. The basketball, else. yeah, they would you know you'd have pickup games constantly, and the mini golf was full, the pool was full, and a bunch of us young guys like going to the pool. We like to see the girls down there, <laughs> but, uh, but that's how I got a job up there. But uh, anyhow, I started there in '89. And uh, I worked there until I graduated in 91 temporarily through the summer. And uh, then I started full-time at the POA in 95. Uh, we was doing construction. And at the time, from, from Ponce Stadion on east was dirt. And, and what we'd done in construction, we went in and we, uh, we uh, buried all the underground utilities uh, into the new subdivisions that they were building. And back then, you couldn't stop anywhere in Hot Springs Village without hearing a hammer here. I mean, it was just, they were building going on everywhere. And uh, so we put all the utilities in uh, down down toward the east end. And uh, 
it was, you know, I've done a little bit of all of it. So then I, in 90, I believe, no, it was 2004, I started to work at the street department. And I worked at the street department from 2004 to 2019. Uh, 2011, we had a tornado hit. So we had trees down all over common property that we had to get cleaned up. Well, you had to be kind of licensed in order to go in and do that kind of work to get the grants from Sling County and and uh, what have you, you know. So I went to school over the night for University of Arkansas at Monticello, and I got my associate's degree in forest management. And that allowed us to go in and survey the common property and remove all the trees and everything. And uh, then they they wanted the forestry and common property manager uh, two years ago. And so I took that position and then our street superintendent left. And because of all my experience working in the streets for all those years and, you know, Jason Temple and I have teamed up and kind of leading that group. Well, I tell you awesome. what, we're, we're, we're lucky to have you. And that is not an exaggeration in any stretch. I, I, I think some of the things that people don't realize, and I, I want to come back to this, there's some, there's some common misconceptions uh, number one, uh, trees will live forever. We'll just leave these trees. We won't cut them. We don't need to thin them. Why, why would you cut all these trees? What is the problem? And the problem is they will die of old age and people right. just don't have a clue. Right. And, and the trees is, uh, when they get to be a certain age, um, and you want to, if you want to sell the timber, they, they create something, what we call in the forestry business is red heart. And that means that a logger has to, in order to sell that timber, has to cut it about eight or 10 foot up from the stump because you're losing that timber at the bottom, which is red heart. It's over, you know, it's too old and a red heart gets in it, it rots, you can't make lumber out of it. So they have to, what they call jump buddy, and that's cutting it up high. And, uh, you know, a tree is like a human. It's got a lifespan. I mean, you can have some 120, 140 year old. But when they when they reach a certain age, then yeah, they do go to they do go to uh, dying out. And most of the time, it's your pine trees. You know, your pine trees is is um, what is the biggest problem. And you know, Hot Springs Village unfortunately has a great number of pine trees because uh, you know at one time uh, the village was owned by a timber company, and they planted and they planted pine trees for harvesting. And if you don't manage those pine trees and they get overgrown, which can, you know, it's very susceptible to diseases or to, uh, you know, high winds of pine trees got a, got a lot shallower root system than your hickories or your oaks or your other hardwoods. So your pine trees are going to be the first ones blown over. Now and, we, uh, we do have, and we have a beetle issue. I want to come back and talk about for a minute, do. but. One of, one of the most common questions that we get, and, and I'm, I'm trying to give the outside viewer listener that hasn't even been to the village what we've got, and that is, what, Todd, was it was it first the first 18,000 acres or so that Cooper bought from, actually, they bought it from Dirks, and then Dirks sold out to Warehouser the first time. Right. And, and basically, from, from the far west, west end, about, uh, what, uh, eight miles in or something like that? Uh, right around Balboa, where the Balboa Road, Balboa Road uh-huh. is, where the where the woodlands is, that was the first block. Right. And yeah, and Cooper right. bought that first block and said, "Okay, we're going to develop this. We're going to turn it into something." And they're working very feverishly to do that. Then, as they get 
as, as they're continuing, they realize they may want the rest of this that, that goes on out to the other highway. But in that meanwhile, Warehouser has clear cut it and planted back t- pines, uh, plantation pines, very, very tightly in, in places, which okay. is what they did. And so as you go from the west end of the village to the east, you have very mixed timber as and then on the east end, it's virtually all pine. Is that all pretty pine. accurate? You're, you're very accurate. Uh, most of your trees on the east side, I'm going to say from Ponce Valley on the east, are, are nearly all pine. I mean, I say that probably 70% are pine. Yeah. Uh, and most of them haven't been planted. And when they plant them, they plant them in rows. And over the years, a pine tree will seed itself. Huh. So if you don't go in and harvest them, you know, or, or manage your timber over the years, then they seed yourself. They get, you know, way overgrown because it started growing up in the middle of those rows. And that's what we run into at some of our spots at our east end, uh, you know, because then you got what you mentioned a while ago called a, a pine beetle. You got a hips beetle, and, and uh, they travel by wind. And if they get started in a, in a pine tree and they attack pine trees that are stressed, and if you've got an overgrown plantation, those pine trees are not absorbing enough sunlight because of the canopies are so tight that uh, they become stressed. It's kind of like getting choked out. And that allows your beetles then to attack. And then they spread throughout that stand of timber and it can decimate acres and acres and acres of timber. It and, has and I- through it in other places of Arkansas. And I don't think people have a clue and I'm, I'm not, I'm certainly not a forester in any street. I own a lot of timber, but I don't know a lot. Yeah. I don't know a lot about that, but, but, I, but I will tell you, and I'm, I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm planning on learning more, but, but I, so there's roughly 44,000 square feet in an acre, roughly, roughly. Yeah. And I'm told, but I heard this in actually in the village voice, probably 15 years ago that you need between 180 and 200 trees per acre. And most people think, well, yeah, that sounds about right. I can show you acres here in the village that must have 800 trees on them. And right. it, it, you know, it's just so overly grown and where, where any daylight did reach the ground in Arkansas and we got plenty of rain, it, something sprouts. And so mm-hmm. all of this, this thicket that you may think looks like a relatively healthy forest, is it? No, no, a bunch of places it's not. And you know, what the Forest Service does to maintain a bunch of their uh, new growth or undergrowth that, that makes the forest overgrown, really, is uh, they go in and do a controlled burn. But we can't do controlled burn here in the village because of, we have so many people with respiratory issues. So uh, we have to try to remove it mechanically or go in and thin it, you know, uh, and you know, when we get through thinning it, then clean up behind us and, and you know, get our get it looking nice again, like a like a park like city. It's well, what a bunch of people want. And let's talk about so I mean, there's a lot of it sounds like to me your guys are your hands are tied in many ways. I mean, there's a subdivision. And in that subdivision along the road, there are home lots that Cooper has sold. In between right. those lots or behind those lots, many times. There's a green space, and that's where Cooper ran the the utilities, or where you ran the utilities, or the the plumbing and the whatever. And and the POA owns that common property. That's the exact name, right? Right. Yeah, it's it's, it's common property. So, and my job, really, what I'm over here, Dennis, is uh, 
I'm telling you, I'm over all the, the, the lake dams, the spillways, the common property, the road right of ways, all that. That all goes into the common property forestry and also your wildlife, which is the urban deer hunt. And, uh, but like you were talking about, you, you have to thin in the village. You were talking about how your hands are kind of tied. There are certain strategic matters that you have taken place before you thin timber here in the village. You know, you have to, because you've got small strips common that you might want to take some trees out of that go right behind people's houses. And uh, like you were like you were just saying. So you have to kind of get with your logger. You have to get a logger first that has small equipment. You can't use any of the big commercial stuff like that they thin with everywhere else. Because they have these big delimmers and, you know, and they go in and they go to cutting and then they tear down everything else around the tree. But you've got to you've got to thin it. It takes longer, but you have to thin it with a chainsaw, and you have to fall your trees individually to keep from hurting the other trees that's there. And then you have to skid them out. By skidding them out, I'm talking about pulling them out to what they call a setting to load on a log truck. You have to skid them out with a small tractor so you don't damage any of the other trees or any of the other vegetation that may be in that stand that you're wanting to keep. And so. Uh, you know, yeah, there is there is quite a bit that you have to take into consideration. Plus, you have to go back in used to what we've done. When we done a thinning, we would slash the trees up, which is leave the 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 limbs and cut them up, slash them up, and leave them to about 18 inches high on the fourth floor. Well, when you go in behind somebody's house and you're thinning and you leave all this brush out there on the ground, in a year or two it's gonna rot and they won't, you know, they won't hardly be able to tell us there. But at that time is what they're seeing and they don't like seeing that. So now we, we, you know, if within an area, we're trying to clean all that stuff up behind us. So we're trying to get a healthy forest and also clean it up too, uh, behind us and clean all the tops and stuff out. But you want to leave a few like your dead trees on the ground and, and different places for, uh, for your, your wildlife, for your birds and your, you know, your, uh, your wildlife to have places to get and, to, to be able to feel secure. But, you know, you have to, we have to clean up now a bunch of what we're, what we're thinning just simply because we don't leave a mess behind somebody's house. Well, what about, what about if I've have a home and I want to, uh, there's a beautiful little spot behind my house where it's common property owned by the POA. And I think I'd like to put a little shed back there or a little pavilion. Can I do that? Uh, no, you can't build any structure on common property. Um, any structure, walkway, path, anything like that, that, you know, you can't, uh, it's against policy to, to, to build anything like that on common property. Well, I, I see people that live at the end of a cul-de-sac and many times Cooper would put a little piece of land right in the middle. It's not all just asphalt, but there's a little circle right. in the middle. And I've seen people put, um, patio furniture or stuff like that. As long as it's not permanent, is that okay? Yeah, and, and if, as long as it's not permanent, and if they do something like that, they have to, and then you're right here, there is several places in the middle of cul-de-sacs, but they have to maintain that also. Like, they're, they're responsible for keeping the weeds down and, and keeping it picked up, cleaned up, and, and keeping it looking. Because there's some places that have done that in the past, years ago, they built a wooden fence around it, and uh, then they quit maintaining it. Now it's grown up with briars and thickets, and the wooden fence is rotten, and then we have to go back in and tear it all out, you know, and haul it off and get it cleaned back up. So, uh, you know, that's one of the one of the reasons they don't like you to put anything permanent. 
Well, now, so I'm, I'm with the Town Homeowners Association. Also, I work with them, and they have another kind of common property called limited common property. Right. And that's just for the townhome. Is that correct? Right. That's just for the townhouse association. And, you know, we were asking, I'll, I'll tell you one of the things we were discussing in the Town Homeowners Association is that um, we had a gentleman who just pulled up a hypothetical and he made the note. He said he thought he would like to have an electric car okay sure he said well i think i'd like to put a charger out front of my house and i'm like um, um i don't i don't know that you own that property yet. yeah that's my parking spot i'm like no 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 so uh, what a lot of people don't understand is that for most townhouses you own the five to seven feet around that house and then everything outside of that is the tha common limited common property limited common property so you would have to dig a trench across limited common property, put up a stand. And so nobody owns a particular parking spot. Nobody owns the, their backyard with the town homeowners association, et cetera. So, I mean, there's complications there. How do you know who to call when? Well, if you live in a, if you live in the town, in a townhouse, my suggestion would be if you wanted to know anything about the land that's pretty close to your, to your home, just contact town association first because they could tell you if it was limited common property or not, then maybe call the PO and we could come out and, and I can come out and let you know exactly what it is. You know, so it, I have a, I have a tree and I'm just trying to cover all the common issues mm -hmm. that I hear people say about, I have a tree in a backyard and it's leaning over. It looks like it's going to fall and it's on common property. Do I call you guys? If it's on common property. Yes. And uh, we'll get it taken care of. If it's on limited common property, I have, they have been people called before in situations like that. I went out and looked at it and I just explained to them that it was limited common property that they would have to contact the town association. But the best thing to do is just call the PLA. I'll come out and look at it. It's better to be uh, safe than sorry. You know, I mean, if I can't, if I can't touch it because it's on limited common property, I'll explain to you, you know, you know, I'd love to do it, but you know, I can't because it's on townhouse. And well, uh, let's move back down to the pine beetle if I can just for a second. Okay. And I'll tell you, I had a lot on, um, Ponce number two, Ponce golf course, number two on Sergio. And we had cleared a lot of the underbrush. Now let, let me make this clear. We cleared everything that was four feet or well, not everything, but things that were four inches or in diameter and smaller, we cut those without a permit. Uh -huh. So anything bigger than that, we would have needed a permit. Is that correct? Right. Yes, okay. And that's on unimproved property. If I've got something bigger than four inches and I have a house, do I need a permit too? Um, if you've got anything bigger than four inches and you have a house and your land is over a half an acre, then yes, you have to have a permit. Okay. And, and how do you go about getting that permit? Uh, you go and see permitting and inspections and uh, you get a residential tree cutting permit. And now if you have a, dead tree that's about to fall on your house you know you you don't have to have a permit to cut that tree okay but well and and you're going to the point i was going to touch when we were clearing this lot or clearing the underbrush on this lot we found a tree that oh my lord it was 32 to 36 around it was it was a big big pine tree and there was just handfuls of this um it looked like dust just pink or a sandy colored dust at the bottom I looked up in the top of the tree and the tree is 
80 feet tall. It's a monster and there's no bark halfway up the top of the tree and on up. And I, I called the neighbor and I said, you know, I'm going to do something with this tree because this tree is dead. And he was like, Oh no, it looks pretty good. Cause the, the stuff, except for the debris around the bottom and the fact that it didn't have any pine bark halfway up the tree. Yeah. And we evaluated and learned very quickly. It was obviously dead. So we took that one down, but what, how does this pine beetle, it, it goes into stressed com tree communities and what, how does this even work? Well, your pine trees, they, they get stressed either by, if you have a, if you have a rainy season, and they're like in a bad wet spot. Uh, if you have a drought and the pine trees are stressed for, for water, if, uh, if they're overgrown, thin, any kind of stressful situation that can stress the tree. You dig a, a ditch bomb and you cut some of the root systems, you know, it can cause the tree to be stressed. And the pine beetle attacks that tree when it gets stressed. They burrow into it. And when they burrow into it, most of the time you'll see holes about the size of your pinky or a little smaller, um, all over the tree. It's like you've shot it with squirrel shot or something, you know. And uh, then at the base of the tree, you'll have a bunch of little real fine sawdust. And that's where they burrowed in and kind of kicked the sawdust out. Now, the uh, you know, you, usually you'll see a bunch of woodpeckers on that tree because trying to get some of them. But uh, whenever they attack that tree, they become dormant during the wintertime, the cold months is when they they just they, they sit in there and they don't do any action but when it goes to warming back up that's when they really go to go to spreading and attacking and they travel by wind so if you've got a hole such as what we had down at the east end that we're taking out right now if you've got a whole bunch of thick grown pine trees and you don't do anything about it and you've got 10 or 12 that's dead with pine beetles in them and you let them go till it warms up in the spring and summer they're just going to go through that stand and just before long, in a couple of years, you're going to have nothing but a bunch of dead pine trees. Is removal the solution? It is. It is. Removal is the best solution. Removal and burn. Uh, you know, uh, which we, I have found a mill that actually will buy our dead timber. So uh, I can sell it to the mill. And what, what I'm doing in the, in the project I've got going on in Belcano, um, I'm selling the pine trees that we remove. And I'm trying to take that money and put back in to pay for our cleanup where it's, it's kind of going to pay for itself, you know, uh, but we'll get done what we need done. It's not really about making profit as it is to having a healthy stand of timber. And it'll allow some, you know, I've left trying to leave some of our smaller oaks and, and some of our smaller hardwoods that's been trying to grow all these years, but was shaded out. Now sunlight can hit them and you'll see them really go to, really go to uh, performing once once we get done in, in the project we're in now. But removal is is about the only thing you can do. When you get a pine beetle infestation, you've got to take them out. If you don't, you're going to have just more and more and more. Well, what would the average homeowner do that, I mean, if they saw the dust around the tree, they saw the boring holes, they knew there was a problem, what should they do? And, and number one, who on earth would buy dead timber? I got to hear this story, but, <laughs> but, but I'm like, I think I can keep you full, man. You know? Yeah. Well, believe it or not, you know, that, that your dead timber makes the prettiest wood, especially, especially, uh, pine beetle timber. Distressed See? wood with, with holes and wormholes or what? Yeah. Well, the, the pine beetles actually, whenever a, a tree, they get in there and the tree dies, 
causes a fungus to grow inside the inside the tree. So when you saw your logs and you stick them through a planer, I know this because a buddy of mine owned a sawmill and I and he and I went up there and watched it because I didn't believe it at first. But when you uh when you saw that log and you stick it through a planer and a planer, you know, makes the log smooth. Sure. It's got the prettiest blue and red and different color markings in, in the ground. And uh, so people, they, they, they like that. So I found, I found a meal actually that will buy the dead timber. Now they don't pay me much for it. I'm just getting $10 a ton for it, but it's better than letting it lay on the ground and, and rot, you know, and, and not get anything. So, uh, but I did, did find someone to take it and, uh, they, they're using it. I, you know, they can use it to make pulp or, you know, pulp wood, uh, they can use it to make ASB or they use it to make furniture also. Really? Yeah. I, 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 mean, I had no idea. It. You can usually sell it to these, uh, private sawmills. It's not very big guys will, they'll buy it from you that owns the sawmill, the dead timber to make different kind of, of, uh, of furniture baby cribs man i've seen some baby cribs made out of this a guy made out of dead timber that he had sawed up he had a sawmill beautiful it had all these different colors in the grain and all he done was planed it down and, and built it and put polyurethane on it and i mean it was just it was beautiful it had all these different colors in it and it had all these different little markings where the beetles had you know their little tunnels and and it's just it's pretty wild what looking at it i mean incredible incredible yeah. So, so it, back to my question, I've got a tree in the backyard that I think has these pine beetles. And I mean, as Randy said, what, what's the long-term solution? Do we need to cut down a lot of them or is there, what, what, how get, big is the problem and what's the issue? If you get pine beetles and your tree is still, is still alive, you can go to Walmart and you can buy some stuff called, uh, now I forgot the name of it, but, uh, Anyhow, Bayer. We'll look it up. Bayer, that's it. Bayer. It's like the aspen. It's a Bayer brand, and it's for beetles and stuff in trees. And you can buy that, and you can mix it with your water, put, put it in a pump-up sprayer, and spray your pine tree with it in the holes and, 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 and everywhere else on that pine tree. And a bunch of times, you can save that pine tree. I went out and done it for property owners before they couldn't do it. You know, they had, they had a tree they were worried about. And, you know, and they, they were elderly, you know, and couldn't, and I just told them, I said, you know, if you'll buy it, I'll come out and do it for you. And I have, and we've saved some pine trees by doing that. But once that bark goes to slipping and you see those holes in it, yeah, you, you take it down because there's no saving it. Do the beetles start lower and work their way up? Do they, are they at the top? Well, they usually, they, they usually start in about midways of the tree. Okay. Whenever they start attacking it, they'll start about the midways of it. And then they'll just expand from from top to bottom. And uh, like I said, you, you can save a tree as long as your bark. When you see the bark go to slipping, and by slipping, I mean the bark goes to falling off, it's just too late. You're going to have to have it cut down. Now, the project, the removal project that you mentioned before, right? What what what's the timeline on that? Well, we're about 50% complete on it right now. Uh, you know, it depends on the weather. I know we're supposed to, I looked at the weather this morning, it's supposed to rain every day next week, you know, and you, and you got to let the area you're in kind of stay a little dry so you don't rut it up, you know, with your tractor getting in and out. So it's going to probably prolong. So 
we've got, if we get some good weather, probably about three more weeks and, and, you know, and we should have it completed. Uh, you know, I'm going to look at it when we get done. Of course, we're cleaning it up and it's right on the side of the soda Boulevard. I mean, so when you come in these gates, you're going to be able to see it, especially if you turn up Elkano. So, um, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of look at it when we get done with it and when we get done cleaning it up. And if there's anything I need to do to, to spruce it up, you know, to make it, you know, as, as pretty as I can make it because it's going to be the entrance to our village. You know, I'm going to try to do that. So my plan is right now just to get it cleaned up, get our proper spacing on our trees and get them growing good again. And then, you know, take a look at it, what it looks like. You know, I may go in and plant some native wildflowers, you know, this partial sun to get them growing up into the stand of trees that we have and something to, to, uh, something to make it look, look good when you come in our village. How do you keep tabs on all these different areas as far as the condition of the timber? And uh, I mean, it's a lot, it's a lot of property to oversee. <laughs> it is, it is, it's, it's, it's a lot, but, uh, you know, you, you, you can kind of, if you're used to it and you know what you're looking for, if you're driving down the road, it just kind of stands out. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I can, I'm not trying to boast or anything, but I can drive down the road and I can see a pine. It just stands out like a sore, sore thumb, you know? And, and when you see a, a big group of them, like what we've seen down here where we're working at, I think standing at the road, I counted 18 dead trees just within a wad, you know? And those beetles had started just going through that timber. So, uh, you know, in a situation like that, yeah, it's, it's time to take action. And that's what we had to do there. You know, I hate it. I hate it because we have to take out so many trees. And, and I hate it that we have to lose a buffer zone for the people on Victoria Lane, you know, between there and DeSoto. And that's what I said. You know, I'm going to work as hard as I can to try to get it right back for them. But we also want to, to maintain that timber that we've got and allow it to be healthy for them so they can still live in a, in a forest environment instead of having to take it all out. Yeah, I, I think that's that's partly. And, you know, to everybody that we, we've interviewed that, that works with the, the POA, it's a it's a balancing act. You know, we, we talked to Brad and Brad's like uh, Brad Meredith with the, with the lakes and uh, Brad's like, you know, the fishermen want me to put fertilizer around the lake and, and that'll increase the algae bloom. Well, everybody who swims in the lake doesn't want algae in the lake and uh, we want yeah. color clarity. And, you know, we, we think of a good, healthy lake as something you can see the bottom of, well, you know, maybe yeah. not so much, you know, that that's more <laughs> of a sterile lake, you know? Right. So, and, and I'm in my mind, I'm, I'm, um, I'm, I'm hearing what you're talking about on the East end there, but uh, uh, Todd, I know, you know, where this is, you know, where Cambrai is just Northwest of Cortez Cambrai subdivision. I do. I mean, there, there is nothing there. There is two homes in the entire subdivision, but there are trees that are 55 inches around and mm. easily 80 feet tall. They are monsters. Some of those trees are worth some serious money, Yeah, but it's on private land. Somebody owns that lot. Right. You know, and I'm, I'm sure, for example, let's talk about the DeSoto area where you're talking about there, where Pizarro, the second entrance of Pizarro down by DeMonte on DeSoto, uh, there's three or four acres there that were commercially sold. They're talking about putting a hotel there and whatever. And that is plantate. That is textbook plantation. plant. The trees are, trees are in a row. They make a pattern and mm -hmm. they probably need to be thinned and 
that's somebody else's land. You can't just come in and go, Hey, you need your, your stuff right. thinned. We're going to thin it. You can only work on the common property, right? Right. It, you know, we can't, we can't get on anything private and believe it or not, your plantation pines, they don't bring as much money as just your regular loblolly pines, you know, that's grown here because the a plantation pine is a type of pine tree that they plant to get it to grow fast. Right. You know, because they're in it, the timber company plants it. They want a fast growing pine tree to where they can come back in and harvest it in a few years. And uh, the growth rings on it, if you cut it, are not as tight as they are up around the west end of our village. So, therefore, you, you don't make as good a lumber as some of the, you know, some of your loblollies that you have. I say loblolly. There's different words for it, but anyhow, uh, I call them loblolly pines. It's up around our west end. Uh, the east end pine trees, just their growth rings are not as tight, and they don't make as good a lumber. Uh, but, I mean, but they, they're they so thick is, is the biggest problem with them because they've never been thin. They've never been managed. And we've now started running into problems because of that. You know, well, you mentioned Pizarro. There's a place on Pizarro right now that we're going to have to move to once we get done where we're at. Well, two, two things. In, in the, we, you and I were in a meeting the other day. We met with uh, Tucker and the Forestry and Common Areas Board, uh, the committee, uh, and, and fascinating, absolutely fascinating. And Tucker had some interesting comments and he, he can kind of be the historian because he knows, you know, he was here right. when they were doing it mm-hmm. as you were too. But he talked about when Cooper bought, bought the last 12,000 or whatever it was that made it 26,000 acres, that when they bought that last 12,000 acres or whatever, uh, it had already been, some of it had been clear cut and already been replanted in pines. The plan at the time for Warehouser was that they would plant those pines. They would grow very quickly for the first few years. They would come in and thin those, those areas like we're talking about out where there were just plantation pines. Would they take that out and just pulp it, just sell it for pulp wood? Yeah. Chip it, you know, they, chip they, it up and sell it for pulp. And, and, and then chip. that would leave those other trees less stressed and they would have a good mm-hmm. trawl stand. Well, in the uh, meanwhile, Cooper sold them. Exactly. And then Cooper wasn't in the mood to go, Hey, you know, we're going to, we're going to trim the, clean this land up before we sell it to you. Uh, 36 and 38 Pizarro. Diane and I own 36 and 38. It's a double lot, not on the golf course side of Pizarro, but on the, the other side. <clears throat> and I was having some guys clear that up too, with the four inches, four inches and smaller. And this is a double lot. It, you know, it's a better part of an acre, you know? Right. And they've come in and cleared everything. And I came in to look at it behind and I'm going, no, that one has to go. And 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 that would, I probably cut another eight that had a beetle damage. Oh yeah. And I didn't see it until we had already cleared the lot, you know? So, I mean, you know what to look for. I I couldn't see it until we'd already cleared the four inch stuff and the thickets and all that underneath from outside of it. Right. Yeah. And there, there's some places on Pizarro. Uh, there's one place in particular that uh, I found matter of fact, Monday of this week that we're going to have to go in. They, 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 the beetles have infested it. They killed, I think there's 18 trees right on the side of Pizarro. It's, uh, it's dead and big tree. I'm talking about these are these pretty good sized trees. You know, you measure a tree, forester measures tree DBH. They call it this diameter of breast height. No, and, I'm sorry. Uh, say, say that again, a little slower. It, it, <laughs> A forester measures a tree. If, if you go to talking forestry with a logger or whatever, 
they say, how big the trees you got? You say like, well, it's 18 inches DBH. DBH means diameter of breast height. That's how you measure trees. And, uh, you know, so some of them over there is, is they're 36 inches DBH, big, big trees, no bark on them at all. I mean, they're gone. Uh, sawdust at the bottom on the ground. That's, that's the number one thing you can tell. It's called an Ips beetle. Now we have Southern pine beetles. And if you'll notice on a, on a, and I'll show you sometime or another when I see you, Dennis, I've got some pictures from some trees here in the village. They're not as common here in the village as the Ips beetle, but there is some. And they'll grow into a tree and you'll see they got a big tar ball on the side of the tree where they've went in. It causes that sap to run out and it'll make a kind of a ball in the hole. But uh, most of it's hip spittles, and that's where you see all the sawdust at the, at the base of your tree. And uh, these trees I'm talking about on Pizarro, they've got, it's just ground covered with, with sawdust. Yeah. Now, I don't know what timber prices are going for. I know they've been really astronomical and I, I'm about to learn apparently, uh, but I can't help but you're talking about a a 36 inch DBA. Uh, Yeah. DBA. That could be a thousand dollar tree or more, right? Yeah. I'm getting uh, what I'm getting right now out of what I'm taking out at the East Gate is that my part or the POA's part, I say mine, the POA's part is $23 a a ton for anything eight inch top or bigger. It's $10 a ton for everything with a six inch top or smaller and $10 a ton for all of our dead stuff. So, uh, you know, that's, that's pretty fair. I mean, it's dropped a couple of dollars from two or three years ago. It's, it's kind of hard to believe because your lumber prices are going up, but your timber prices are not, you know, they're just kind of shady, but, uh, but that's what I'm getting. It's a pretty good price. I think the, the, the loggers selling them at the mill for like, uh, $41 a, a ton for everything eight inch and bigger. And I'm getting 23 of that. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, so we, we worked out a pretty good negotiation deal with them. And, uh, then I, you know, like I said, for the money I make off of these timber, then I can put back into getting it cleaned up for the people coming into the village. Yeah, well, and, and one of the things that goes through my mind, I'm, I'm just, <clears throat> if, if you haven't stood beside a tree, that's <laughs> 36 inches at chest height. Yeah. That's a lot of lumber. There's oh, it a, is. It and is. It's a lot it's of lumber. Lot of and lumber. unfortunately, it's a lot of about to be dead lumber that's, you know. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, to tell you the truth, that stand that we're, we're thinning, <laughs> it, it was like a swamp because the drainage wasn't opened up. We just went in Monday and opened the drainage for the water to run out of it. But the trees in that are bringing more money because they're heavier because they're, they've got all that water in them. So that, you know, that kind of helped us out a little bit. So, yeah, we're, uh, we're doing pretty good on that. But, if somebody uh, has property or they live, or they live on a lot that has, you know, a lot of pine trees and they suspect infestation, who can they call? To they confirm? can call the POA and I'll come out. I'll assist them any way I can. Uh, I'll, I'll help them. In, you know, and that's what I tell them when I talk to them. You know, most of them have my number. Or most of them I've dealt with have my work sale. And I'll tell them, you know, you know, look, if you need help with anything, anything at all, you know, don't hesitate to call, you know, I'll help you with anything that you need. Randy, if uh, he sends us, I'm sorry, I apologize, Todd. If he sends us a couple of pictures, can we put them on this? Yeah, I was going to ask him, I was going to ask him to send us some pictures that, that he may have, and we'll include those in the, in the show notes for this episode. It'd be great. Okay. Okay. 
You want me to just uh, email them to Dennis? Yeah. Yeah. You can either one. That'd be fine, Todd. We'll we'll make it. Okay. This beetle, the name of this beetle is what? It's an Ips beetle. IPS. Ips beetle. Okay. Yeah. Just any kind of search will show you. It's an issue. It's becoming an issue. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it's getting, it's probably worse now and it's just going to get worse. And, you know, it's going to be a, what I'm saying about it getting worse. I don't want anybody to panic and freak out and think they're going to take over the village, but, uh, it's time that, that, that we've got to start taking action is, I guess is what I'm saying. As what, me, it, it, is this something it. that you can do year round, Todd, or is this something that I, you said they go dormant in the winter. Yeah, in the winter so time. clearly I'm, my logic would seems like it, it'd be best to do it then. If you yeah, can, that's, that's the weather, per, to, the weather permits, yeah. but then is there some, is there some, is there some date by which it's like, well, if we haven't done it now, then we're going to have to wait. Or do you just continually year round tackle this? No, I, uh, I, I'll cut them year round. I mean, I like to do them when they're as infested as they are down here at the East end, what I'm doing right now. I like to do those in the winter time. So we can get them out of there before, you know, they, they really go to spreading. But if we get a place that's infested, yeah, we can take them out in the summer too, because you know, i I'm not only taking out the dead trees, I'm also taking out some of the greens uh, to get the proper spacing in between your trees. And once you do that and you give the other trees about a year of that healthy nature and the sunlight and the, and all the uh, nutrition that they need, they just go to flourishing. I mean, it, this spot right here in a year, in a year's time, you can see a difference in the trees that will be there and the trees that's trying to grow. Right now, they you know, you've got some some nice little hardwoods in this area that's that's trying to, to to really flourish, and they can't because they haven't seen sunlight since they started sprouting on. So uh, now that they are, they'll they'll really go to coming up. So uh, you know, it's uh, it's best to take them out in the winter time, but yeah, we can't take them out any time during the year. I had uh, I had a guy ask me the other day. He he was wanting to uh, landscape his front yard, Eddie at the Hibachi, actually. And uh, he said, yeah, I want to landscape my front yard. And I, I really want to have like some beautiful green grass up there and everything. And I said, that's great, Eddie. How many trees are you planning on cutting? <laughs> and he was like, what, what? No, I, no, no, no. I'm like, no sun to the ground. No, no green grass. It, it, it. And then he said, and Eddie's a problem solver this way. He said, I use AstroTurf. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> hey, it'll be green year round. It sounded, it sounded appealing to me. I'm like, yeah, that does sound pretty good. That, that's a, but you said, you said the IPS beetle and I'm, I'm, cause it sounds too weird. They spread through the wind. Yeah. They, the wind carries like they get out on the trees and they, 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 they can't fly. They don't jump and all that. They just kind of get in the wind and the breeze just carries on the different trees and they just, it just, it just spreads through the wind. Kind of like a glider, like like they're on these little mini hand gliders, and they just away <laughs> they go. <laughs> well, we just need to stop the wind. We just need to stop the wind. I was like, I was thinking that. I was thinking the same thing, Randy. I'm like, it's not been that windy. Yeah. What's going on? Yeah, we just, <laughs> just need to stop the way these beggars travel, man. That's exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, let, let me, let me come back to another question. So uh-huh. you're, you're, you're working with the, uh, and, and we mentioned, I think we played around this just a minute. So you typically work with the common properties, but, but, and forestry and wildlife, but in case you're not doing enough things these days, 
when I met you a couple of weeks ago, you were spreading uh, ton, hundreds of tons of sand and salt over the roads. I was. Yes, sir, I was. We uh, we had the ice storm hit, as everybody's aware of, and uh, we were about to run out of sand. And so I called uh, called Johnny Minton at Cooper Concrete. I know Johnny real well. Hey, you got any concrete sand? That's what we use. And he said, yeah, I've got plenty. I figured you'd be calling me. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> And I told him, I said, hey, I need, I need some. So we started hauling, hauling that in here, and we started using that. Yeah, we, we had to get about 100 ton more. How many uh, trucks is 100 ton? Well, we, the truck that we have carries 10 tons, so that's 10, 10 loads. He was just driving back and forth all day long hauling sand. But we got Honey, it in how, here, and our, our sand trucks were loading it when he was hauling it, and we was just constantly going and distributing sand. We, we had the sand for... Uh, you know, people that get stuck, they slide off the road or for uh, police vehicles, uh, fire trucks needing to get somewhere, uh, ambulances, uh, most of the time for like accidents and people needing to get out and they, they need sand there. And, and uh, but we, you know, we put out lots and lots of sand. We had a lady who was cleaning for us and she called and said, I, I really need you to come help me. And I'm like, boy, she said I was able to get here, but I'm having trouble getting out. And I came over to see her and I said, what's going on? And she said, you see where my truck is? And it was parked right in, it, you know, had two wheels off the road, kind of sitting on the ditch a little and two wheels on the ice. And I said, yeah, she said, yeah, I, par- I parked it over there with the emergency brake. And it, she said, <laughs> I got out and it skidded across. The, she said, I slammed the door and it went. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, it was, it was slick. We wear what we call ice spikes and it's some, some rubber, uh, Spikes. I mean, you 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 got this. It's kind of like a rubber thing you put on your shoes. Looks like a chainsaw file. I'm sorry. Right, chainsaw. It looks like a chainsaw chain. Really? But, yeah, but you put them on your shoes, and uh, I've got some back here behind me, and and you slide them on your shoes, and it spikes, and you can walk on that ice and stuff without slipping. You know, it's it's kind of. And so all of us wear we, we wear those on ice. You know, it's a, a safety precaution. Keep somebody from sliding. It's very slick. Oh my Lord. My, my brother-in-law came and helped us push her out. And, and in the meanwhile, fell and busted his keister. I, I did the slow, mo- I did the slow motion splits for the first time in 45 years. And, uh, that Hold was not, I, I, yeah, I, I was, yeah. I, I woke up sore the next morning. So there's that. Oh, well, I'll tell yeah, you what, yeah. we, well, I know we need to wrap it up and give you your time back just for a minute, but let me come back. What, what's the most challenging thing of, of the, the, the common properties part of your job. What's the most challenging part there? The most challenging I would say probably is trying to get, uh, you know, you've got so many different uh, perceptions of what uh, your forest should look like. And as far as our common property and our forestry is, we've got so, so many, so many acres of forest that has never been really maintained that need to be and in order to do that and uh, to make it look good behind it is it's probably the most challenging thing because you're limited to what you can do and uh, you know so that that's really about the the biggest challenge i have is uh, is uh, maintaining our forest or, or developing a forestry plan i guess it's to say uh, a strategic plan that uh, that will satisfy everyone kind of like a balance of meeting in the middle and uh you know along with your aesthetics because you know this is kind of a special place that you have to do 
certain different things with. And, uh, you know, your hands are kind of tied. So, you know, you have to, you have to try to figure out certain ways to, you know, to do it, but we can, we can get it done. You know, I, I suspect the pine beetle doesn't care if it's on common property or private property. It, it's, it, it it's, doesn't. Uh, it'll, it'll spread to wherever, you know, and, uh, and if, if people get it on their property, you know, uh, I urge them to get it, get it taken out, get it cut down, hauled off. That should cure your problem, you know, but. Uh, that's, that's, that would be my advice. If you get pine beetles on your property you can get them, get them cut down. <laughs> Todd seems like a good candidate for a lightning round, Dennis. I think he'd be a fabulous, I, I, I'd want to know tacos or burgers. Did we mention the lightning <laughs> round, Todd? Did we no, mention we didn't that? mention the lightning round. This is, no, really, didn't mention this, the lightning round. this is really easy. This is really easy and quick. And hopefully it lets the audience know a little bit more about it you the guy, you know, the Jesseville native guy. Okay. So this is, yeah. th- this is really quick. And then Dennis will say good night to us. All right. Hiking, hiking, hunting, or fishing, hunting, hamburger, tacos, or pizza, hamburger, favorite day of the week, Friday. <laughs> do you have a nickname? I do. Let's hear it. It's hoot. It's hoot. Hoot. As in, like what because an owl was, does. Well, when I was fourteen, I never wore contacts, but I wore glasses back then, and I had some great big black frame glasses. And they told me I looked like the northern spotted owl. <laughs> then they started calling me the spotted owl. Well, then that got shorted to, to hoot. So now they call me hoot. <laughs> That's my CB handle, by the way. <laughs> So if you're ever on a CB, uh, Randy, and you hear a hoot, <laughs> you'll well, know it's Todd. Hoot's, yeah, way be- hoot's, way, hoot's way better than Northern Spotted Owl. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, current favorite band or musician? Current one? Mm-hmm. Uh, What's on your playlist right now? I'm sorry? Be back in the day, probably ACDC. Man, look or at George you. Jones. One of the two. I know Laura Jones, years. man. I was expecting. <laughs> yeah. I like I'm, that. Hey, I love I love the old country music. Merle Haggard. George okay. Jones, Waylon Jennings. That's my favorite. Yeah. Well, what, what was it they said? Uh, what, what was somebody said? Uh, somebody asked, uh, uh, what about Luke Bryant? And, uh, and uh, one of the old country guys said, I've never heard of her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Conway Twitty would probably be my favorite musician of all time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a, you are going old school. Yeah. All right, you've got an hour to do nothing. What are you gonna do? Uh, an hour to do nothing. Probably kick back and do nothing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Get her done. Get her done. Sounds like my kind of guy. Favorite <laughs> favorite holiday. Christmas. Do you play a musical instrument? No. I can't hardly even play radio. <laughs> okay. Your favorite meal. Describe it. Favorite meal would be deer meat, fried deer meat, gravy and biscuits, mashed potatoes. Is that the low fat version? That's no. the low fat version. <laughs> <Yeah>. Greasy too. <laughs> yeah. Sticks to your ribs. Yeah, exactly. First concert you ever went to. Garth Brooks. What year? Roughly. 1994. All right. Funniest movie. 
funniest movie. Uh, I've seen some good ones. Probably the one where they go to Vegas and they take their buddy and they, he gets lost. I can't think of the name of it. Hangover. 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 There Hangover. you go, Randy. Yeah. <laughs> favorite, <laughs> favorite sports team? Arkansas Razorbacks. Woo pig. Yeah. Cake. WPS. Cake. Yeah. Cake or pie? Cake. What kind? Uh, red velvet. Man, there you go. How many hours of sleep do you get? Probably seven. What's your favorite article of clothing? Uh, my blue jeans. All right. Last one. Do you have a favorite quote? Do I have a favorite quote? If you don't, that's okay. No, I, I used to use one. Great moments arise from great opportunities. Well, I like it. I like that a lot. I, I like too. that a whole lot. I think if that's something to close the, the show on. Do it. Yeah. I mean, you know, if, if you don't have the opportunity to do something, then you can't ever show anybody how great you really are. At it. Well, and, and not only that, but opportunities a lot of times look like problems if you're not in the mood to solve them. That's right. That's right. What was it? Henry Ford said, most people miss a great opportunities because they come in overalls and they look a lot like work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I appreciate exactly. that one. I appreciate that one. Todd, I tell you what, I, and I'll tell you what one of our goals here is, and I hope that our listeners and viewers that have stayed to this part of the show will appreciate that. And I, I see on social media where two people talk about, well, those stinking POA workers, they're, they, you know, they'll imply, imply or say lazy or not getting our money's worth or whatever. These people don't know y'all. And I mean that no. sincerely. They don't. You know, and that's a minority, yeah. by the way. I it think. is. It's a hyper minority. You know, Dennis, I've been here. Uh, well, I love Hot Springs Village. Hot Springs Village has, uh, has been my, my workplace for way over half my life. And I've met some, some great people here in the village. And, you know, and a bunch of the people here, they don't, they don't really have family. And I treat them like family members. You know, I love the village. And, you know, there's been instances where I've met, you know, I'll give you an example, an elderly lady that went to the hospital. She didn't have any family. So my wife would cook supper and I'd bring, we'd bring it to her evenings when she got home. You know, uh, you know, and, and I'm just one. There's several employees here at the POA that really, they love the village. They care for the village. And, uh, you know, it's just like the ice storm. Uh, not all the employees could get here, but there was two or three that wrecked their vehicles to try to get in here and open the roads up for, for, you know, the property owners. So, uh, you know, uh, they'd done damage to their vehicles trying to get in to, to, uh, you know, to, to work, to get hard to get the roads opened up. And we worked through the night and through the day. And this is just one year we've done it several times in the past, but as me personally, uh, you know, I, I love the village. The village has supported me and my family for many, many, many years. And, uh, you know, like I said, I've got some good friends that live here in the village and, uh, you know, I love it. I love it here. I love working here. I love the property owners. And, uh, you know, I, I try to go above and beyond, uh, you know, some of them say, well, so you're, you're easy. You got that Southern draw, you know, that Southern accent. I didn't even know I had a Southern accent. So I started working. At it. I think, I think they have the accent. Don't you? Yeah, I do, I do too. I do too. But, you know, I just, uh, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, I, I feel honored to work here and to be around such a beautiful community with great people. And, uh, you know, I, I work as hard. I'll work as hard as I can to make sure that they, uh, 
you know, to try to heed the every need that they have, you know, I mean, to, to show them that, that, that you do care. And we've got lots of employees out here that really care for the property owners and they work so hard. These guys work so hard. You know, we've been short staffed and, and man, I have seen them just step up and, and they, they have really worked hard. Now we've got a new general manager and I've met him and I think he's going to do an awesome job, uh, Dennis. And we've got a great board and we've got some really, really talented employees here. And, and uh, you know, the future is bright for Hot Springs Village. And we've got some employees that care and, and they work hard to, 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 to prove that they care and to get the job done. And they've got great attitudes about it. So, you know, I feel honored, feel honored to be on your show. And I feel honored to work at such a wonderful place with wonderful people. I'll tell you I'm what, when, when, when Jason, uh, suggested that we interview you, I thought, man, immediately. And I I'd mentioned something to you at the committee meeting. I'd never met you before that, but, uh, I, I knew, uh, I, how do I say this in a small rural community? Okay. Rural yeah. Burbia or whatever you call it. Right. We don't have to have excellence. Jason could, Jason could get the same paycheck and you could get the same paycheck and then just kind of, it's eight to five and show up and well, I'd try to get to work, but I'm not going to wreck my vehicle trying to get there. Well, no, these yeah. are my neighbors. <laughs> this is not just my job. These are my neighbors, you know? Right. So anyway. Yeah. The honor's all on this side of the table, by the way. That's Todd. for sure. That's for sure. And Todd, we sincerely appreciate you and your staff because obviously, you know, as Randy said a minute ago, we were joking earlier before we hit the button that you're, you've got your street superintendent, acting street superintendent, and then you're uh, doing your regular job. And I'm sure we've doubled your salary for that whole period, right? Because you're getting <laughs> to, no, 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 hardly, not hardly. Well, I tell you what, hey, for you, you and the other I'm, unsung heroes, we appreciate you, buddy. Well, I, I appreciate you guys and, 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 uh, like I said, it's, uh, I'm happy to do it. I'm honored to do it. And, uh, and, and I know that all the other departments here at the POA from the golf, the wastewater and water to the fleet maintenance to, to everybody. I've seen it firsthand and I, I can, I can tell you truthfully that these guys, they work hard and they care. And, uh, I'm just, uh, I feel blessed and thank the good Lord every morning. I get to come into a place like this to work. Us too. And I Us thank too. the good Lord for people like y'all that get it out there for, people here you couldn't be nicer todd man it's been a pleasure for hot springs village inside out we'll see you next time thank you thanks for listening to another episode of hot springs village inside out a podcast where hot springs village arkansas is the star please subscribe to the podcast you can do that by visiting our website hsvinsideout.com and tell a friend